and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. So welcome to our first podcast of 2017. We are broadcasting from my bedroom in Glasgow. I've just polished up a couple of glasses of wine and we are ready to talk about <laughs> the best film of 2017, which is Assassin's Creed, the movie. Yes, it is the only film of 2017 so far. Technically in the United States 2016 film, and therefore it is the best. I feel confident in saying this. Yeah, yeah. Very, <laughs> very strong uh, undertaking compared to the shit blockbusters of 2016. <laughs> oh um, my god, yes. Yeah, Morgan and I do not play video games. Um, we are not familiar with the Assassin's Creed franchise. Someone on Twitter did have to explain to us that the quite frankly, bonkers world building this movie did in fact come from the games rather than be made up. But we're basically watching it because we really enjoyed Macbeth by the same director and cast. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Uh, we have been sort of both ironically and unironically gleefully consuming the promotional material for this film for many, many months. And everyone we know has basically reacted to this with a because uh, <laughs> it's like it's a parkour montage starring Marion Cotillard, one of the finest actors of her generation, <laughs> and Michael Fassbender, one of the finest actors of his generation. Yeah. So what could go wrong? Answer: Nothing. Literally nothing. Nothing. It's went a wrong. very nearly flawless movie. Precisely <laughs> the goal that they went out to do. They were like, "We're going to make a parkour movie. It's going to have." a kind of world-building setup to explain why they're doing the parkour, which we will get into in a minute because it's mind-blowing. Um, and they succeeded. The only flaws are that sometimes there were some exterior CGI shots I didn't like. There was like one other thing and basically everything else was perfect. So to everyone else who uh, gave this 17% on Rotten Tomatoes collectively, what can I say? <laughs> Suck it. You're all wrong. Fight me. <laughs> I understand giving this film a somewhat negative review in that some aspects of it made no sense and that there was perhaps more CGI than some people enjoy. Although there was a completely acceptable quantity of practical stunts and I, I enjoyed that. But the idea of giving it a worse review than most of the blockbusters of 2016, which were almost uniformly a whole nightmare. Uh, I saw Warcraft. I, I survived Warcraft. I watched the film called Warcraft. <laughs> Just horrific. That was a film that managed to make Ruth Negger not good. It's grim. I mean, it's a grim yeah. statement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this film is complete nonsense. Mm. Obviously, bonkers. I think hit me absurd. up with an explanation of what this movie is about because we're gonna spoil virtual. There's a couple of things we won't mention because we feel like there's some things. If you feel the need to watch the movie afterwards, you need to have surprise for you because they're just so good. Um, but we're going to basically spoil most of the movie on the assumption that most people are never going to watch this fucking movie. It's Although made like $12. We, we highly recommend it. Oh yeah, however, for sure. For sure. But it won't matter if you are spoiled. If anyone for... ever told you that you ought to watch the movie Wanted, starring James McAvoy and Angelina Jolie, which FYI is shit, um, people probably told you to watch this movie because it's like a good action movie about like a cult of assassins. It's garbage. Watch this movie instead. I would agree with it that. It has a scene where Michael Fassbender is picked up in a claw and sings the Patsy Cline song Crazy while crying and kind of roaring the lyrics. And then he regresses through his past lives of genetic memory to 1492 and becomes a Spanish assassin. That is a real thing that someone filmed. It is. And didn't even film 
sort of filmed against a green screen and then CGI'd. So think about the hours spent to create that image for our consumption. Yeah. I mean, wow. I saw. I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, so Morgan, let's let's hear yes. what this movie is about. Yes. So this film is about a man named Callum Lynch, played by Michael Fassbender, who, when we begin the film, is a young boy. And he sees his mother murdered by his father when his father is in full Assassin's Creed getup, which is basically an ancient hoodie. <laughs> yeah, it's a historical kind of tailored yeah. hoodie situation yeah. with like, they have the special blades that go up their sleeves. And I feel like they're quite efficient for certain things, but maybe not the most efficient weapon. Because no. it's up your sleeve and it only like kind of stabs forwards, but... It looks cool when they do the pose, and I think that's kind of the philosophy behind the whole film. And I think we both really appreciated it on that level. Yes. So <laughs> yes. No. No pretense about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so his father kills his mother. He tells him to sort of run away because there are a bunch of big trucks rolling up to their house in New Mexico. He runs off. We flash forward to the present, and he is on death row, about to be executed for killing a man, who is later referenced as a pimp and that is the only explanation ever given for any of that yeah they don't go deep into characterization a lot of this relies on acting which is fine because the actors are good but the implication is that it was kind of like an okay murder rather than like right. a bad murder right important <laughs> distinction because yeah. this is an entire movie about what constitutes an okay murder um, uh, yeah, this movie is all about moral philosophy and I think that a lot of <laughs> philosophy classes in future should watch it yes Definitely. A lot of discussions about free will. Yeah. So he is executed, except it's not a real execution. It is a fake execution. And he wakes up in a large facility in Madrid that is run by the Knights Templar, specifically a branch of the Knights Templar, run by Jeremy Irons and his daughter, played by Marion Cotillard, who run a science program around past life regression therapy. Using a giant claw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's like, you watch Inception, yeah. there's kind of the stuff where they pump the drug into you and then you all share the same headspace in the dream. It's also kind of like the thing that plugs into the back of your neck in the Matrix, but it's also one of those claw games at the fairground where you pick toys <laughs> out of a big transparent perspex box. So they shove the toy Michael Fassbender The toy is Michael yes. Fassbender. So you've got Michael Fassbender's body suspended from a thing. And then it's really best to not think too hard about the science behind this because it's not necessary and it's all fine <laughs> when you watch it. <laughs> that is um, a good description. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But they plumb the depths of his genetic memory because um, many generations ago he is descended from Aguilar, the member of the Assassin's Creed in 1492 in Spain, who was part of the group of assassins who are trying to keep this magical MacGuffin away from the evil Knights Templar. And it's a thing called the Apple, which is based on the Apple of Eden. And it's, you know, narratively similar to the MacGuffins and everything, and specifically the Marvel movies, where it's like this object about the size of a fist. And apparently it will allow the Knights Templar to control humanity's free will if they obtain it. So it's unclear how that works, and I would prefer to not know. Um, <laughs> I agree. It I doesn't, agree. That's the part that makes the least sense. I will completely accept all of the stuff about the past right life regression therapy and the fact that potentially Michael Fassbender might be able to fly. Um. <laughs> also unclear. Yeah. Um, but Marianne Cotillard has sort of good intentions. She really just wants to end violence and suffering. And it sort of seems like she doesn't want to completely erase free will. 
But her father, Jeremy Irons... Which you would never know, because he is only... He's played by the sympathetic and charming Jeremy Irons. Right, exactly. You would never... never Do you think they even had a list of other actors? Or did they just straight up call Jeremy Irons and be like, we need you to wear a suit. (laughs) You need to be patriarchal, but kind of a creep, because there's a scene where he sort of touches his daughter's chin, and it's like... I feel like some people touch their daughter's chins, but when... Jeremy Irons does it. It feels wrong. <laughs> it just it feels, feels wrong. He's got a certain genesis quality. Yes. <laughs> but he, of course, is just wants to control yeah. all of humanity. And so she gets her hands on Michael Fassbender, and he has this connection to the apple, and she wants to find out where it is. Yeah. So historically, Aguilar, um, the um, assassin he's connected to, was the last person to see the apple of Eden, a small metal thing that would be very easy to fake. Um, but I tried to put that in my mind while I was watching because I was just like, kind of seems like there'd be a lot of forgeries of this fairly easy to fake metal globe, but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> All fine. Um, it doesn't matter. And she wants to sort of take the sympathetic approach, take her time, make sure he's doing alright. And of course Jeremy Irons is like, fry his brain, we need to know where this thing is right now. Classic sort of philosophical. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of um, eugenic stuff going on in there as well. Yeah, so basically she takes him into her little office, which is in the basement of a cathedral, apparently. That's not actually true, but that's what it looks like. And it's also in their giant sort of concrete Yeah, they have this massive kind of modern designed facility. And the basement looks like it's a historical cathedral. So I was kind of imagining that was there originally. And then they built this huge edifice with the Assassin's Creed logo in the center of a major (laughs) metropolis. But like, whatever. It's fine. It's all fine. fine. And they have these big sort of... Uh, murder wall type things with all the information on all of the Assassin's Creed people they have captured and are keeping in this facility. Yeah, because they've got like um they've got like a kind of prison slash experimental facility full of people who are um, descendants of the members of the Assassin's Creed historically. So they're you know they've got Michael K. Williams and it's like we're going to go back two hundred years and enter the memories of whoever. Yeah. <laughs> so. She shows him all this stuff and she's like, I know everything about you. I know all of your ancestors and I know that you grew up in all these foster homes because your parents were dead or abandoned you or whatever and you had this horrible life. And I know that you are the living proof that crime is hereditary. And I was like, that doesn't make (laughs) any Kind of seems like he's had a really hard life and saw his father murder his mother and maybe that had something to do with this whole situation. (laughs) But their entire sort of uh, basis for their program is that crime is hereditary and this was very funny because this was an entire debate that was had at great length in the late 19th century which i have studied and i thought "Mm, nothing has moved beyond perhaps the most realistic part of the film because there are still eugenicists now yes um, precisely some people are bad and they've got a nice but not too heavy-handed philosophical debate going on in the back of this film which is barely touched upon but um we're still rooting for the sequel yes (laughs) we certainly are so that's the one half of the philosophical debate. The other half of the philosophical debate is let's murder people. And that's <laughs> also fine. The volume of murder in this movie, um, I would, there was not even one of those kind of nominal superhero scenes where someone like saves a tangential child in the background. They just like mow their way oh, through. Oh yeah. Just lots of stabbing, but no blood because it's got to be PG-13 slash 12A rating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> murder all over the place. Uh you know sure it does not matter yeah. there is lots of parkour yeah. and extensive combat. scenes where michael fassbender 
goes into the claw and simultaneously in the present day his modern fastbender body is um reenacting what was happening in 1492 with his aguilar body in the past where he's you know jumping off buildings and stabbing and there's a car chase sequence which i um a cart chase sequence rather <laughs> which i feel was heavily influenced by mad max fury road because the composer who is the brother of the director justin Corzell and is excellent i bought his soundtrack to macbeth thanks mr Corzell. um <laughs> He's kind of got like a slight Mad Max Fury Road situation going on there. But yeah, the kind of flashback scenes, mostly parkour. Although I think Morgan actually would have preferred more parkour. <laughs> I was more than I think they should have had a, the balance be slightly more even. Because most of the film, I would say, takes place in the present day. And I thought that they should have slightly nudged the percentage toward the past. Although a lot of the reviews, I think, were basically saying, I hated all the present day stuff. This was nonsense. I just wanted to see people parkouring in Spain. I mean, I enjoyed both because I I very much enjoy movies where there's just someone jumping a very large distance. Yes. And I also like films where Marion Cartier, one of the best actresses of her generation, is having a very sincere conversation with her father, Jeremy Irons, about free will based around an apple. just so great not necessarily meaningful but the line delivery is just like you really feel it when Mario Cotillard says something that doesn't mean anything Um, (laughs) yes I do uh, I certainly do (laughs) Um, so I liked both parts but the modern day part had a I think very coherent uh, plot that I found quite engaging and the characters it wasn't like they had an incredibly you know deep complex characterization but they definitely felt like real people and the stuff in the past i found very enjoyable but the was very superficial it mostly existed to so they could have be, running right <laughs> and the running was great very good running and, what, and also like um the secondary female lead because in the past um, michael fassbender's partnered up with this kind of avril lavigne looking girl who is his like <laughs> counterpart and they're both basically their characterization is they're both extremely dedicated to the assassin's creed and they're willing to die in order to like protect the apple from the knight's templar and they're also trying to protect the sultan's son but she was great and i was like properly invested in their relationship and i was like kind of shipping it like i enjoy that they have this like kind of they don't kiss or anything but they're clearly kind of a couple and yes they're both like really tough and it wasn't like a two-dimensional female action lead situation because they were both basically quite two-dimensional <laughs> yeah exactly it wasn't like um, she was deficient and then in the modern era you have marion cotillard picking up the slack um yes she her clothes were truly sublime they were very fashionable and crisp but also totally non-sexual and basically just um very nice office wear yeah and i thought wow what is this i mean not like movie office wear either it was like chic french like actual office yeah like a kind of a shirt that is not like tailored to like accentuate anything but is clearly extremely expensive yes so what she would actually be wearing if this absurd nonsense (laughs) were happening in real life yeah um at one point she wears a dress that has a neckline at her chin and was not form-fitting and i just stared at it and thought what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is happening? Like I have never seen this. In fact, I don't think there was no kissing in this movie. There was no kissing whatsoever. Yeah. At one point, Michael Fassbender leans very close yeah, to her. There yeah, was, there was definitely, like, it was compelling. I feel like a, yet another reason to watch the sequel. Because the, there was a certain, there was a kind of a frisson. Oh, yeah. Between there was two a, leads. A but also, you know, 
But it was very... antagonist, so it's very complex. Yes. <laughs> the dynamic, so much going on. Please, someone write you this know, fan fiction for me. when you meet a guy and then you put him in a claw <laughs> and make him regress to 1492 while your dad watches from a kind of glass paneled watching bay above, you just start to feel something. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, it was, um, it was truly a wonderful experience. I was saying to you, I feel like this film, despite the fact that it got terrible reviews and so clearly no one understood its genius, is really kind of an object lesson in why blockbusters should just get really good actors and then give them some modicum of like normal human interaction to play and then just have parkour. Like that's there was a, there was a like, lot of acting in this movie. Yeah, there was a lot of scenes where Michael Fassbender was legit crying, or he was like fighting his own incarnation and hallucination in like a gray <laughs> room. Part of the reason why we were so invested in this before it came out is because it's by this talented but not really well known director and like basically the entire creative team of Macbeth. Clearly, they've got one of these relationships where Michael Fassbender and Mario Cotillard can just be like, "Well, I'd like to have this scene where I just like stare at shit for like an hour." <laughs> You know, they're just having, like, a really intense emotion. And it's like, sure, as long as we get in, like, a good 45 minutes of parkour in between. <laughs> it's fine, right. Uh, and, I mean, it's all the sort of very simplified, you know, I hate my father because he killed my mother, and then she's got daddy issues also. It's like, that's great. That's yeah. totally, you know, whatever. I Who can't identify with... <laughs> With yeah. their mother being murdered by their father. It's something we all go through. Um, but it's sort of fundamental human stuff. Yeah. Parent stuff. And so then they can have emotions as opposed to anything that, you know, a DC movie or a normal uh video game movie or whatever and also they're both like 40s they don't feel the need to make them both be idiots correct (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was a nice sort of change from most of these things is that and and they acknowledge that he's 40 which is like wild yeah and and a pleasant because he's like 10 years old in 1986 in the flashback at the beginning yeah i mean his hero's arc is very minimal like they don't really go deep into like him making decisions he's in the fucking claw but yeah when he does it's also like it just it's so finely knitted into my favorite aspect of the movie which is the just incredibly complex psychic garbage of the world building because when he kind of makes his choice to fight back against the templars that have taken everyone prisoner it kind of there's they don't go into it, but there's this sort of strong implication that there is um, a shared psychic headspace between all of the incarnations of the assassins. So um, at the point where he finally manages to use the claw to his own advantage <laughs> and uh, and kind of voluntarily go through into his past life rather than being forced to do so, then he can connect with all of the other kind of assassin incarnations in the prison. And I'm like, just there was just so much potential for sequels. Like, first of all, Michael K. Williams is in this movie playing one of the secondary assassins and he's clearly set up for a role in the second movie but doesn't get anything to do. But also, I'm really desperate for two different aspects of the Michael Fassbender situation, one of which (laughs) is him speaking to 
the hallucination of his Spanish self, Aguilar. So I want him to be like on public transport in a public space and having an <laughs> argument with his Spanish 1492 incarnation in a hoodie. Because I think two fastbenders arguing with each other is like fantastic. That's perfect performance for him. And then also I want him to have both of those kind of minds warring in his own brain. Because I feel like that's another natural progression from this situation where it's like, now he's gotten in touch with his past self. Both of those selves are going to be existing in the same head and he's going to have a Gollum Smeagol situation and they're going to fight. And it's going to be so good. And we're never going to see it unless everyone in China watches this movie because no one's watching Assassin's Creed because it has 17% of Rotten Tomatoes and there's too many movies. It's really, it's it's a bummer. I don't know why they released it against Rogue One. Like, what was the thought process there? I don't know. I mean, there are too many movies, so it's not like there would have been a good alternative, but that does seem I mean, like they, really, they released Passengers against Rogue One. Yeah. space movie. But that's a romance. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I wear where it began um but yeah i really don't i feel like this movie has been truly underserved or done by yeah i i kept waiting for it to get really bad or nonsensical because the reviews had i haven't hadn't really read them no. but I, I looked a little overwhelmingly bit. negative though but they had been absolutely just i mean like this the worst movie i've seen all year it was mind-numbingly boring made no sense and I was watching it and I sort of felt like, okay, I still know what's happening. I'm still very entertained. <laughs> and then I sort of realized, I was like, oh no, this is this is the whole thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it, tr- it truly doesn't make sense. You pointed out one of the best things about this film is that every time they throw out a piece of terminology, they just don't explain <laughs> it. Which I love. Which is I don't need to know. <laughs> like, Maria Cortier spends a lot of time, like... When Michael is in the claw, she will be giving kind of um, orders to the people who are operating the claw and the different elements of when he goes through the kind of cycle to be plunged into his past self. And it's all just sort of like made up vaguely scientific terminology. And I think it's better if we don't know what that means, you know? (laughs) I would agree with that. Yeah, just don't explain it to us because we don't care. And the terminology sounds good. It adds to the sort of immersion, but like the idea of absorbing information from this is like undesirable. (laughs) And there's so much just ridiculous crap. At a certain point, they're basically using Google Maps in his brain. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah he like finds another location psychically. So like, they're like visually, you see kind of a hologram of what he's acting in the past in the present. Yeah, which both of us thought was him hallucinating for like the first half of the film, but actually it turned out they had it actually projected into midair in this um the claw zone. And then when he goes to an unexpected location, they're sort of frantically looking through this sort of three D map of what's happening in his brain, as if he in his brain could have like an aerial view of what he was doing. So they're seeing like a kind of port with ships in it and stuff. I mean, obviously he can't see any of this but, but they're kind of looking at it and there's this guy like triangulating be like oh it's this port in spain and like it's this particular ship and they figure out what's going on and it's like literally no aspect of this makes sense in context but like it also doesn't matter because it's so completely fantastical it's cool it doesn't it's so much less boring than most movies of this ilk that came out because like there's so many shit films especially last year there were just bag blockbusters that were very kind of dull and formulaic. And although this does have a white male lead and it's about some anti-hero type dude, they really don't milk it. No. Well, it's a bunch of like 
classy drama actors who are just talking about free will in front of a green screen of a giant claw. And what <laughs> could one ask for more? Well, you you had a very good metaphor for this film, in fact. I was kind of thinking of it as like when like a Michelin-starred restaurant is making one of these gold leaf burgers where it's total junk food, but it's kind of the pinnacle of craftsmanship. <laughs> and you're like, yes, I would I would love to spend $150 on this garbage burger made by chef whatever. And that is that is what we've got here. Because um, you can't expect much from a movie where Jeremy Irons plays the leader of the Knights Templar. But having watched Dungeons and Dragons the movie starring Jeremy Irons as the evil head wizard, this is far superior. <laughs> well, and they're all just... They're they are trying. They give it their really all. fucking hard. Yeah. No one is phoning it in. No. Brendan Gleason shows up for like two scenes, and for those two scenes, man, he just he gives a performance. He does. Like, <laughs> the music's really good. The costumes are not just like, oh, here's a historical costume. They've put thought into it. There's imagination. There is kind of visual storytelling that helps you go on. I realize this makes it sound like we have low standards, but um, it's Assassin's Creed the movie, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I genuinely think, I mean, technically this is a 2016 film because it came out uh, on Christmas in um, the United States. And I think of all the 2016 blockbusters I saw, I mm-hmm. think this was easily the best directed of all of them. Yeah, because I've been trying to think, and it's like, I don't remember because I saw about 8,000 movies last year, but... I think the kind of mainstream blockbuster that, you know, I mean, oh, obviously Arrival. Arrival, Arrival yeah, was good, but, but Arrival was, was like a classy movie by it. Yeah, you know. it cost like um, 40 million. Yeah. I mean, it was a blockbuster, but it's not really the same. Because um, the kind of the, you know, in terms of cheesy blockbusters, I liked Ghostbusters, which is a comedy, and Star Trek, which is not as kind of artistically whatever as this. Um, yes. <laughs> and while this was very much leading to the whatever end of the scale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the movie on the whole... This is yeah. very silly. Um, but visually speaking, Justin Corzell is very talented. And it looks gorgeous. And aside from just visually being pleasing, the shots are actually doing something. Apart from when it's an exterior shot of a CGI yes. historical cathedral, which every time that started happening, I was like, oh, we're in a video game. <laughs> but yes. apart from that, seeing as that was literally the entirety of Warcraft, I will let it slide because the rest was people... You know, doing parkour, which is very fun. Yeah. Or an eagle flying majestically around. The first scene of this movie is like, you know, or a second scene is an eagle flying majestically while extremely loud rock music plays. And there's (laughs) no rock music in the entire rest of the film. No, because the rest is the score in the similar style to Macbeth. And Patsy Cline yeah, for around and the 20 seconds. Patsy Cline scene. As sung by Michael Fassbender. Just. Very beautifully. What a guy. Yeah. His pipes are not his best. I mean, we both saw Frank. True. I had forgotten. Yeah. Fassbender did a musical. Technically. I, that, <laughs> wow. So much has happened. <laughs> the last song in that is uh, it's quite good. Yeah. Just what an experience we've had. It really lived up to my expectations. Mm. I, I was I was slightly demoralized by the reviews, even though I was not exactly expecting it to get positive no. reviews. But they were really bad. And it was everything I hoped and dreamed. Uh, my two favorite actors gazing at each other and saying very intense things about sort of nonsense stuff. <laughs> um... People running across clotheslines over a busy street. Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of punching, <laughs> flips in midair. You yeah. know, what more can you ask for 
really. Nothing, really. I, I was very satisfied. I would recommend this to anyone as long as you know sort of what you're getting yourself yeah. into. <laughs> I mean, I'm not as defensive of it as I am of Jupiter Ascending, which I loved enough to watch twice in a week and I think is unfairly maligned. But I think that was partly for kind of like ethical and sexism reasons that people didn't like it. Whereas in this, I'm just mystified because um, yeah. it's a fun, dumb movie full of really good actors and uh, people are cruel and life is sad. Yeah, I mean, they just go enjoy the claw. That's <laughs> really the best I can do. Um, thank you for listening to this. If you, for some reason, have made it this far, despite surely not having seen this film since we are the only people, along with our actually surprisingly full Yeah, cinema. you go to movies in Glasgow. We love movies here. Yeah. Basically everything will have an audience. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, we will be discussing Yuri on Ice. Finally. OMG. So over Christmas break, Morgan and I, <laughs> obviously I'd already watched it all, but Morgan, I sat Morgan down and we watched every <laughs> single episode of Yuri and Ice. I'm so hyped. We're going to talk yes. about it. It's going to be great. Yep. Best show of 2016. <laughs> uh, and then Sherlock the week after yeah. that. So as I'm sure, unlike Assassin's Creed, that everyone is watching. <laughs> yeah. Sherlock. Sherlock is unavoidable. Unfortunately. Yeah. This is unfortunate because Assassin's Creed, definitely better than Sherlock. Yeah. But life is cruel and unfair. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. And as always, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.